filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Ah, yes. So I was looking in my fridge and trying to figure out, like, I have these chicken thighs. I have my Dutch oven. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with it. And it's like, well, I got this cabbage that's about to go bad. I've got a crap ton of garlic. I've got, like, throw some onions in there, throw some tomato in there. Then I threw a little anchovy in there. And then I was like, wait, I'm like 90% of the way to chicken cacciatore. Let me just... Get the, let me just throw some wine in there and some uh, uh, I like chicken that the anchovies went and, in before the the wine. I mean, they, like, they didn't. They just came in. They just came in my brain first. <laughs> I did it in the way that you would expect this to happen. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just a, like an exploration. I knew I was going vaguely like Italian ish, and then as I threw in all the ingredients that I had, a, a, a pepper uh, as well, uh, I was like, oh yeah, this is basically chicken cacciatore. I remember one time making gumbo and realizing that I like was basically or I, I was making chili and I accidentally just made gumbo instead, oh, yeah. which, which it worked well enough. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to start with these. And I'm like, wait, I have the, the Trinity here and shoot, this isn't chili anymore, is it? <laughs> yep. But, ben, some... it, it sounds almost like at some point you were almost making like a stew. Uh, it it, it, you, it you also in the neighborhood up, of one. I was definitely in the neighborhood of stew as well. It would have been more chicken cacciatore if I'd like uh, cooked it down longer. But I was un- also under a time crunch, so it was like halfway in between. It was like I mean, it, it's all in the area of just like of rustic food. So it's just like yeah, throw it all in a pot and cook it, and it'll taste delicious. This all came about because. I had a lot of rosemary to use. We, our rosemary mm. plant is just like exploding with with uh, shoots and flavor. leaves and flavor. Yes, and so uh, my wife Christy cut off a bunch of it because it, it needed to be shaped. And so I was like, "What can I do with rosemary?" And then this led me down this entire path towards uh, basically chicken cacciatore slash a rustic stew. A great cocktail you can make that's super simple gin or whiskey a uh, little bit of simple syrup and rosemary and just shake the hell out of it and double strain it into an up glass really really okay. good okay. well i've got plenty of rosemary so i think i think back in the day we named that drink for chris pontius because it didn't have I a think name we did i think we did <laughs> so make yourself a pontius next time you have a bunch of rosemary hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united and cooking and cocktail tips podcast i'm adam taylor Joined, as always, by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United, and that's what we do on this show. Tonight, we are talking about the 1-1 draw with New England in the second game of the MLS's back tournament. Um, the name still is, you have to comment on it the first time you say it, I feel like, 
we're not past that point yet. Uh, later in the show, we're going to hear from DC United fullback O'Neill Fisher and talk to Kevin Laramie about DC United's upcoming game against the Montreal Impact. Watch that on ESPN and 2DN uh, Tuesday night, 10.30 p.m. Hashtag DCU after dark. It's going to be a late one. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I was very happy to find that I did pass Jason, uh, left present Jason, uh, one one last uh, bottle of Dead Rise Gosa. So nice. that's what I've got. Um, it's pretty good. Not it's not as year's crop. It's it's not as good as the first year where the beer shouted Old Bay. Uh, that was that was the, what I want. Uh, this one merely says Old Bay. Uh, it does not shout at you, which it's fine. I just you know the first year they really went for it, and then they've kind of pulled back because they would like it to be something people that are not uh, ardent Marylanders might purchase. But uh, I would prefer if they got more clannish with it. I mean, hey, I Jason, I really enjoyed that first year. Yeah, they really well. went for it, and it was a big deal. Like, yeah, they they had the hops right in it too. So, like the old bay mm-hmm. and the the bitterness of the beer really they they were kind of both smacking you, but at the same time, so yeah. you stayed centered. So, um, Jason, I mean, you you are a Marylander. You have old yes. bay in your pantry. Sure. I mean, are you, you can are just... you saying I should just add uh, a a powder to my beer? Yes, bloody <laughs> Mary this up. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you could, I guess you could rim the glass. Um, try that. Let us know how that and is. Try it. No, I'm, 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 advoca- I'm advocating You're just shaking it in there. Just dumping a bunch of, of various granular spices <laughs> into a yep. beer. Yep. I mean, That's it's not saying. the worst Give idea I've heard. <laughs> um, I do have a friend in college that, um, if anyone remembers the Simpsons uh, joke where Homer asks for a six-pack of beer and Skittles after they tell him that there's no such thing as Skittlebrow, um, I have a friend who definitely did that, uh, and he did it and was like, this wasn't very good. But then like you look over at him and he's pouring Skittles into a second glass of beer. So, um, either he felt like he had to do it because it was like, well, look, I bought all the bag of Skittles. I have to use them all. Um, so I'm stick, I'm committed to the bit or was he just like kind of drunk and kind of dumb and just repeating himself for no good reason. It's I mystery. feel like. I feel like we've made more cursed drinks on this podcast before than just putting some old bay in a beer. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, we've had shandies on this podcast before. <laughs> uh, I, I am drinking a drink with a rimmed glass. I'm drinking a Marg tonight uh, because we had all the fixins and they were did out you old, from did you old my bay wife making a Marg. Rim it? I did not. I, I just did salt. Uh, more traditional. The... Uh, the cantina around the corner from my house, they have a spicy marg that they, the, they rim the glass in like fermented peppers that are dried Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, ground down to powder, basically mixed with the salt. And I think also some dried lime zest. It's very hot and very good. Um, this is, this is like a super fancy tahine. Um, yeah, basically it's a homemade. Yeah. yeah. And they rim Um, the glass with it. It's quite good. Our, our, uh, our good friend Lizzie Becherano uh, brought, we did a little spice exchange. So I made sure she got some old Bay and she brought me a small bottle of uh, a spice thing from Mexico called Miguelito. Um, they, apparently there are multiple kinds. If you go to the store, apparently it's very easy to find the Miguelito that has like a sweetness to it. It's it's, I think it's got like sugar in it as well. And 
in Mexico, there is at least some public, it's so popular that people are like, maybe don't overuse it because it's bad for your health because it's too sugary. Um, uh, but she brought, she brought a green, that's a blue label. This is a green label that is apparently just a lot like tahin, but, uh, she insists that it is superior to tahin. Um, and I trust her judgment on these things. Congrats to Lizzie, by the way, newly engaged. Yeah. 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 Ben, what are you drinking? So we went up to, uh, the mountains of Virginia this weekend to go to, uh, uh, King Family Winery in Crozet, Virginia, uh, outskirts of Charlottesville, and they have a. Uh, this is like my friend said when she texted us to tell us where she, where she was. She texted, "This is the widest thing I've ever said." But we've set up our tent near the polo field. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So th- they're not doing polo right now. So, that, but they have a lot of space, so we were able to effectively social socially distance. Um, but. We had some of their uh, rosé, we had some of their white wine, and we bought a couple of bottles of their rosé to uh, bring home with us. And can you guess what the name of their rosé is? Rosé, rosé? King, King Family Rosé. No, it's just Crozé with a C before rosé. Hey, I was pretty close. You were pretty close. I went for the most generic possible name. Right, which is the other possibility. Yes. I... I am very pro portmanteau, so I, I look for those opportunities. Um, kind of like Pipa Iguain looks for opportunities to come into a game and immediately score. And that's what he did uh, for the second time in as many games. Sub, he scored three minutes after subbing in with DC United behind, uh, this time intercepting a back pass and rounding the keeper to tie it up against the New England Revolution. The game finished one to one. DC United got another point. Uh, in Group C of the MLS is back tournament. They now sit third place in the group on two points behind Toronto FC and New England, who both have four. Montreal in the cellar on zero points. Uh, even with the point, uh, the the really the only really truly giant chance of the game was Iguain's, at least for DC United, and New England didn't have many more. It was, it was a pretty blasé. Uh, sorry, brosé? Is that... I don't know. I don't. I don't know how to combine those two. Now, now you've gone too far. <laughs> I, that that's what I do, Ben. Um, it was a pretty pretty blasé game, uh, for neutral anyway. Um, but especially in the first half, Jason DC's performance just was not what we were looking for as uh, the rebound from that Toronto game. Yeah, I thought for the first ten fifteen minutes we're all right, um, but then it seemed like after that. Um, it wasn't as bad as the Toronto game where they, I didn't feel like they were completely chasing shadows. It's just, they sort of allowed the revolution to start to have the game that the revolution wanted to play more than DC wanted to play. Um, And it's a little frustrating um, because you come off of a game like against Toronto with that, you know, is unlikely to be replicated. That's not a a formula for long-term success. I don't think. Um, Yeah. And so you, you hope for a, a, you know, a good 90 minute response to that. And you, I don't think we got that. Um, I, I will say that defensively they were all right. Um, the fact that the revs, the revs did get a lot of shots, but they always take a lot of shots. We talked about this uh, before that game, that this is a team that piles up expected goals, not because of big chances, but because they're just shooting from 35 yards. 
Um, and DC made sure that they kept they were kept to that for a long period of time. Um, but at the same time, anytime DC looked to break out on the counter, it seemed like they didn't really know where to go with the ball. Um, the the runs weren't there, or the player on the ball wasn't looking in the right direction. There were just some misconnections that were pretty aggravating because you'd see the revs throw numbers up and you'd say this is and they lose the ball is a great chance to counter and then it takes so long to get the ball moving forward that that chance goes away and you're stuck with like oh we didn't even get anything out of this you Um, hear about how players want to know what they're going to do with the ball or at least have a good idea of it before the ball gets to them and that didn't seem to be the case for for dc united they were reacting they were getting the ball and then looking up and assessing the field at that point which yeah. if you're trying to play on the break, that doesn't work. You need to know if you're going to take a touch forward or or play at one time or or whatever. And that seemed to be the case when even when they got into possession, the ball would get into the final third and both the runners and the players with the ball were waiting for someone else to do something, it seemed like. And it ended up being really static as a I result. Think I, I think I wrote in my notes, uh, the broadcast described it as methodical, and I described it in my notes as plodding when yeah. we got into the final third. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I said reactive that, in, in yeah, that, mine. That's completely fair. Um, I, I will bring up, though, that despite all that, and despite the fact that the Revs had 18 shots and DC had only six, the expected goal gap is is small, and neither team even got to one expected goal um so it it was it it was definitely not the most fun game uh if you were a neutral and you chose that game over the game it was going on like 20 yards away on the other field where uh, you could hear the whistles (laughs) yeah uh, and colorado had two guys sent off but then managed to score a goal with nine anyway um that game was crazy it just all the craziness for that 8 p.m. time slot was taken by one game and we were watching the other game. Greedy bastards. Um, <laughs> um, one player that was trying to force things uh, the few times he actually got on the ball was Julian Gressel. He he was trying to hit through balls to runners who were not ready to make those runs. It seemed like and this is something he was doing in the first couple games of the season too. I don't know if he feels like he has to live up to his contract that or his new contract with United or or if he's just seeing that someone has to kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck and he's going to try to be that guy or or if he's got instructions from Ben Olsen. I don't know why, but he's trying to hit these hero balls and they're not coming off, Ben. Yeah, he's uh, been pressing a lot so far. And one time in the first half, it actually came off, and there was that good sequence in the, I believe, 34th minute that started with Assad to to Gressel to Flores and then back to Gressel that mm-hmm. should have resulted in a, at least a shot, but I don't think Gressel could quite get it off. But the rest of the time, he was just pushing, uh, putting errant balls, uh, hustling really hard, really trying, but just not being able to get it there. And I think... One of the examples of that is it was a bad Gressel pass that led that started the sequence that led to New England's uh, only goal. It was he he gave the turnover that started that whole sequence that ended with a deflection and Burnbaum being wrong footed and everything. Yeah, that was going that was such wrong. a fluky goal. Um, a headed goal against United usually is not at least uh, usually not the way they get scored on just because of. Burnbaum and Briant in there. Um, 
this one, uh, was it P- Christian Pania who took the shot? Yeah. Uh, or a shot cross kind of thing. O'Neill Fisher blocks it down into the ground and it just pops up and lands on Adam Books's head. Um, right. And he hits a looping header back across goal. Um, there, there was no chance to mark it. There was no cross in. It was a shot from inside the box that was blocked right. and, and led to a almost a, a, a rebound header or, or something. It was very weird. Um, but, you yeah. know, those things happen. And thankfully, United got the point, but not a lot of attack created on either side. Yeah, one thing I will say, while, while Ben was talking about uh, Gressel, you can bring up the, if you go to the match center on MLS uh, soccer and you just isolate Gressel's unsuccessful passes on the chalkboard, uh, you'll see exactly this phenomenon. It's just, it's a lot of long 10 to 40 yard red lines um, and they're all forward passes. There, There's nothing side to side where he's turning the ball over in those situations. It's, he is trying to set things up. He's trying to break lines with his, uh, his passing choices. It's just not, the connection hasn't been there. Um, and it's not a lot of them. Um, I think, I think it's about nine out of 41, uh, pass attempts. So it's not like he's turning it over a ton. It's just what he's trying to do is pass over distance to try and get the team into the attack, but maybe, um, maybe he's just forcing it a little bit too much right now because there is some pressure on him and on Edison Flores, um, to, to, they, they know, you know, players aren't dumb. They know when they get, um, brought in on a big transfer fee or a big, um, expensive trade that the expectation is that they are going to do something quickly. Um, and they're trying, uh, it's just, it has, I will say maybe in the first couple of games we saw flashes, but so far in these two MLS's back games, the connection between them hasn't been that great. Uh, I think that's fair to say. And, and the Toronto performance was so bad. It was hard to even, you know, it's hard for them to do anything in that game, the way that the whole performance went without the ball. So um, yeah. it's been a I little think, bit tough. I think the the issue with Flores has been a little bit different. They've been having trouble finding him. Mm-hmm. Um, like Flores, I like it may be that I'm used to Luciano Acosta, who was a very high usage number 10 compared to a lot in the league. There are some number 10s that want the ball only in those final moments bef- so they can create a goal. Acosta wanted to get as many touches as he possibly could on the ball wherever he could find them. So I might be used to that. I, I don't know what Flores' style is as a playmaker at this point, what he, how much usage he wants, but I get the impression that he's not on the ball enough. He's not able to influence the game off the ball. So I want to see him on the ball more because I know he has the ability to do that. I don't know if that means that they should move him out wide so that he can get touches in space a little bit more, or if they, the midfield just needs to play better to funnel the ball to him in that 10 spot. I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I definitely want him in a position where he's on the ball more than he is, has been. Well, I'm I'm just just to add to this, since, since I'm I'm looking at the chalkboard anyway, um, I mentioned that Gressel probably, I, I counted 41, with Flores, I count 20 pass attempts. Now, there's only two giveaways in there, but your number 10 needs to have more than 20 passes yes. in a game. Um, and that kind of, again, it it just, the data matches the eye test for sure. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think uh, a big part of it is that in both games so far, no matter who the two defensive midfielders are, they have not been able to 
make passes going forward. They've been, it seems like they've been either spraying everything out wide or spraying things back to Burnbaum and Briant. And the play has been going up and down the wings with uh, Gressel and Mora and uh, Fisher and Assad, but they have not been able to play through the middle very much. Uh, the, the, uh, the, Gressel to Flores back to Gressel uh, combination that I mentioned earlier was them playing through the middle and Flores was able to pull the strings on that because they were able to break uh, New England's lines and run that through the middle. But other than that, like neither like Felipe is doing the best of it, but definitely Knaus and Moreno haven't been playing balls through the middle to help connect with uh, Flores. Yeah, against Toronto, that's that's kind of understandable because they've got some they've got a really strong central midfield in there. New England, though, that's less of a thing. Um, they've got two guys in there. You can outnumber them. You should be able to boss the central midfield. And United just weren't, at least in the first half. They did make some changes in the second half, and they were better. They were better on the ball. They had more of the ball, and and that's when they they created some some chances at least. Again, like we said, not a ton, but they definitely were better, Jason, after halftime. Yeah, and, and after the game, Ben Olsen did get into something that he didn't he didn't spell out exactly what they changed, but he did say that they had they asked Felipe to start to drift uh left of center. And and the way they line up normally he is uh a little left of center and Canals has been a little right of center or when Moreno was in, Moreno was left of center, Felipe was right of center. Um, and in this, if you look at the, again, if you look at the chalkboard, you get kind of a visual on this. Um, but it, it kind of played out where they wanted Felipe to sort of cheat out of the middle sometimes to try and get an overload going on the left side. Because when you look at the revs playing four, two, three, one, just like DC, um, the revs aren't getting a, a ton of help back from Gustavo Bo, who was their starting right winger, uh, in this game because his job is he is actually their big goal threat. So they allow him, they're like, yeah, you can stay forward. You can, um, you, you know, defend some of the time, but you, you have the option of not necessarily tracking back on every single play. And so if you overload them on the left side, you're going to get uh, Brandon by and a de- defensive midfielder, and they're going to be three on two. If you can add, get Felipe over there to help out. Um, and that's where they started to get more control of the game. Now, control of the game you'd like to lead to more chances um but i will say that yeah the the second half was definitely better um the revs certainly they got the goal and and i do think that we have to give at least some credit to the fact that carly's heel was subbed off um coming coming off of an injury i'm sure they planned that substitution it came right right after the hour mark um but once he was removed from the game the revs did not seem to know what to do with themselves. Um, they just sort of were like, let's just continue doing what we've been doing just with, without our best player. Um, there was no adjustment on their part. And I think the combination of DC's adjustments to sort of force some matchups that they wanted in areas of the field that they wanted them to happen in combined with heel being off the field, leading to the revs kind of losing a sense of who they were supposed to look to, um, to, to carry them. I think those two factors allow DC to start to get back into the game. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily fair to say DC merited a goal on the day. Um, Though I will note that um, in the press conference or the media availability we had today, um, Pipa Higuain was one of the players that spoke to us. And he mentioned that um, DC looked a lot at when 
the Revs center backs were far apart. If the pass between them wasn't a good pass or it was a little slow, that was one of the things that they were looking at for a pressing trigger. Um, and so when he came into the game, that was something that he was very, very focused on was anytime their center backs got a little too far apart and we're still going to try and pass to one another, they might try and jump the pass or get pressure on the guy receiving the ball or, or something along those lines. Um, now, you say those things as tactics and you don't expect it to work out quite so well where yeah. Antonio De La Maya just hands you the ball and it's like, good luck, man. You, you do whatever you do. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it's the, the second Rams, time he's gotten a this. through ball down the middle. Yeah, uh, this one almost as good as Felipe's. Um, but yeah, we talked about this. The, the Revs defenders are not particularly good. Uh, this is a good example of something that a bad defender might do from time to time um, is just make a pass without really knowing how close you are to the goalkeeper or to anyone else. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's opportunistic and it's it's fortunate. I think it's fair to say that DC is fortunate to have any points in this tournament. Um but at the same time, we've also seen players botch this sort of chance. Um, a lot of the finishing in this tournament has not been very good. There have been a lot of goals, but the, some of the finishing has not been particularly sharp, um, especially in the, the first set of games. It was really kind of sloppy. Um, and Pipa still had work to do. I mean, he had to get around Turner, who had come out uh, to receive this pass. So it wasn't like Turner had to get to the spot in time to interfere. He was already there. Um, so this was one that Iguain could have wasted. He could have just not quite gotten his touch for, far enough around uh, uh, Turner and ended up getting the ball snatched off of his feet. But, you know, Iguain is, is who he is in the MLS because he tends to not screw these things up. He tends to get the technical side right. And so he it's basic stuff, but he did it right. And some of these games have turned on one player doing the basics very well next to a guy who isn't doing the basics very well. And this was another instance of that. One more thing I wanted to highlight before we uh, throw it over to the interview with uh, O'Neill Fisher is the man who moved position to, to make way for Fisher and, and actually go back to his natural position. Russell Knaus was in the midfield for this game. Uh, thanks to Junior Moreno's red card against Toronto. Uh, ben, what did you make of his performance there? I thought he was okay. I thought he did fairly well uh, breaking up play, getting into positions to force the uh, the revs out wide. Uh, but like I said earlier, I don't think he did a great job of really connecting forward uh, too often. I, I, I feel like, especially in the first half, a lot of his passes were backwards or sideways. And there's... Th there's gonna, they need another uh, uh, tool in the toolkit rather than uh, booting the ball long or or playing the ball uh, up the wings through the fullbacks. So even if it's just quickly switching the field, it, it, there needs to be a little more quickness of action from the central midfield. Well, O'Neill Fisher got back on the field. Earlier today, Jason got to speak with him. Um, he made his first start since, I think, September 2018, when he, yep. when he hurt his knee against the Montreal Impact, actually. Um, we're going to let you hear that, and on the other side, we'll be back to talk about the Montreal Impact with Kevin Laramie. And it looks like it'll just be me for this segment, uh, but we 
have a special guest. I guess it's not just me. Um, O'Neill <laughs> Fisher, welcome to Filibuster. Hey, thank you, thank you. How are you doing? I uh, I mean it's it's about it's almost as hot up here in the the DMV as it is down there. So sweating, but otherwise good. It's probably worse down here for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> Watching the games, like everyone just looks like someone dumped a bucket of water on them as soon as the game starts. So, yeah, it's um, pretty exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We got to kind of on that uh, on that note. Uh, we have our traditional first question. We ask everyone that comes on the show, "What are you drinking?" Right now, some water. <laughs> that's that's the good answer. I think I think that's been the answer for everyone. Uh, from the team down there, including uh, yeah. Ben Olson, when we asked him too, it's it's all about drinking as much water as you possibly can stand. Yeah, got to stay hydrated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking of speaking of this, uh, we're coming off of, or I guess we're two days off of uh, the uh, the draw against uh, New England. Um, but that was a big yeah. milestone for you. Um, first start since September twenty ninth, twenty eighteen. Uh, how was that? How does that feel for you? I feel good. Um, it was a little bit exhausting, you know. Uh, it's been a while since I've been in, you know, in that position where I'm starting. So, I mean, I had to get my mind prepared for it and, mm-hmm. you know, just mentally and, and, you know. And I know it was going to be physically tough because I haven't really, you know, game situation like that. I haven't really played as much, you know, so. I mean, it it was it was good, you know, just like an introduction, you know, kind of you know, get back into things and, and and get a feel for that feeling again, you know, to be out mm-hmm. there and start in eleven and and you know, kind of get things uh, going. Uh, how do you feel like uh, you did, given that you know New England has a lot of really really talented attacking players? How do you think you you held up? I mean, I think I did did good. Um, Defensive side, yeah, I think I did good. Um, I mean, there's still, you know, there's always space for improvement. Um, knowing that I've been out for so long and, you know, um, I felt like I did, you know, fairly well and, 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 you know, I could build on where I left off, you know. So I'm looking forward to, you know, to see how the rest of the games go and, and basically just, you know, how I build on, on, on what I – what I put out there this past game. You know, I, I've been thinking about this uh, coming into the show. Um, you, you and I spoke back way back. It seems like forever ago, right? Uh, during the preseason, yeah, it seems like a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, right at that time, the season was about to start, and you were getting really, really close to being, uh, you know, back at the, the fitness level and the sharpness level that you were looking to get to after all that time out. And then all of a sudden we get no games for months on end. Um, so I, I'm wondering, you know, how, how are you doing on that front dealing with the fact that you were so close to um, being at your very best. And then all of a sudden you get no training, no games, no nothing for so long. Yeah. At that point, I think, uh, I think that kind of um, set me back a little bit as well um, mm-hmm. with the whole pandemic Um you know, and um, I mean, it's just something that we had to deal with, and, and you know, um, I just had to bounce back and and see where I could go from from here on. But I mean, it was pretty tough um, going that long without games or 
you know, because at that point I was feeling really good, um, especially after that uh, Miami game, I was feeling really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Fitness-wise, you know, I was feeling stronger. And then once that uh, once that uh, break came in, it was just like, all right, once everything started happening, it was just like, you know. Hello? Yep, I'm still there. Yeah, and it was just it was just basically like a whole setback for me, but um, nevertheless, you know, uh, we're here now, and and we we got we get the opportunity to to go out there and play, you know. So that's mm-hmm. more important right now to to kind of get these games under my belt and um, just you know keep striving for mm-hmm. the best. Uh. Being down there in Florida, being down in the bubble, uh, how how are you holding up with all that? How is it gen- in general? How's the what's the vibe down there? Uh, being stuck at the hotel and all this. I mean, it's <laughs> honestly, from my opinion, it's pretty lame. But I mean, <laughs> we're here for you know we're here for you know we have a job to do. So mm-hmm. you know that that's definitely a, a number one focus right now. But I think um, it's getting better as as the weeks go by, you know, um, just in regards of, you know, the testing and all the, 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 basically the virus and everything, it seems like there's, there's been less cases over the past week or two weeks, you know, we haven't really Mm -hmm. had many, you know, so I think that's a plus, uh, and it's just, it's just, you know, something that we have to, we have to uh, adapt to, you know, we've been, we've been adapting for the past four four months basically mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's just something we have to deal with and i guess everybody else has to be dealing with the same thing kind of you know so um just kind of probably a way of life now that we have this whole virus going on and you know we have to live a certain way now so mm-hmm. it's just getting used to that and and know that we just got to move forward with with what we have to do kind of but be still be cautious and, 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 you know, be mindful of everything that's happening. Uh, how are you, how are you passing the time other than, you know, I know you guys are so focused on recovery because you, you, the schedule change meant that you had even less time to, to deal and it's so hot and humid down there. It seems like there's no, there hasn't been a single game where it's like, well, the weather uh, was a little nicer today. It just seems always 90 and 95% humidity. I mean, I'm, I go, I kind of uh, just go to the pool most of the time. I just go to yeah. like the pool or, or I'll be in the game room just kind of playing some 2K or, you know, a little bit of FIFA, but mm-hmm. or sometimes ping pong a little bit with, with yeah. Kevin and, and Griffin and all, uh, Moses. Yeah. And sometimes, I, um, sometimes uh, people come in there too as well. So Yeah. But uh, that's, that's, you know, watching TV, watching the games. That's, mm-hmm. that's everything we do all day. Yeah. I, I heard a while ago. No, go go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just saying there's nothing really much to do. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, just all those things that I mentioned earlier. Was, that, yeah. That's basically what it is. Uh, I heard a little while ago, um, I think uh, the, the guys at uh, Tried and True uh, had a, a FIFA tournament and Kevin Paredes was waiting for the winner. I heard he's he's really really good at FIFA. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. He's yeah. he's pretty good. Uh, I've played with him a couple of times. Obviously, he he beat me, but you mm-hmm. know 
I don't really play that much. Yeah. You know, it's more of to just have some fun and not just be, you know, stuck in the room all day or just be watching TV all day, or, you know what I mean? Just just, mm-hmm. just get out of the room some of the times and just clear your mind from just being in that little, in your little own space kind of. But yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably the best on the team. <laughs> Is there who who's close? Who who gives him who gives him the toughest test? Uh, uh probably Earl. Yeah. Yeah, Earl. Yeah, Earl probably Earl is, is good as well. So those uh, are the two I think the two guys that are really the, the best the best on the team that play in FIFA. Uh, you mentioned uh, the young guys, uh, not just Kevin but but Griffin Yao and Moses Nyaman. Um, it seems like you know, from afar, from outside, it seems like uh, you have you have a, a pretty good relationship with those guys. Uh, how important is that for players at that age to have guys on the team that have been through it to to sort of um, mentor them and and just generally be build those bonds within the group? Yeah, uh, we 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 always together. Majority of the time is us uh, together. Um, I really. Uh, I really, uh, you know, stick around them because I'm, I'm basically trying to help them, to kind of show them, you know, certain things, and and I don't really want them necessarily to be in, kind of the situation, when I came in the league and and kind of I had to figure it out all by myself, you know. Even mm-hmm. though you know there's, that's part of growing, you know what I mean, and that's part of becoming, you know, a a, a man and 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 just you know, getting in your own element, so. Um, I kind of want to, you know, help them to, to, to go in the right direction as well as help them to grow because they have a lot of potential. And and at their age, I mean, I wish I could have been playing professional at their age, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, to see that they're here at the, the highest level in the country and, and they have so much potential to go even further than just being here in the MLS, like, I... I I I want to try my best to at least you know give give my few cents and maybe it can help maybe it don't help but at least I tried something you know so I mean I feel mm. that is important because I didn't really have anyone to kind of tell me like hey like you know show me certain things or or be a mentor that uh, that much you know certain mm. everything majority of the stuff I had to kind of you know just sit and watch and observe and and kind of learn as I. You know, as I played and as as I as the years go go by while I was playing, so um, I think that's that's pretty important for for them to have someone that can help them in in their development and just guide them in the right direction. Uh, looking back, looking you know, big picture so far, um, two games for the team, two draws. Um, what are your overall thoughts right now, having you know gotten through those two games that? Maybe didn't go exactly according to plan, but you did come out of them uh, still with a chance to to win one game and go through. And I think we have a team with heart. You know, I think we have guys mm-hmm. that are willing to fight, even though you know it, things don't go accordingly. But things don't always go accordingly accordingly to plan. You know, um, things change. You know, games change. You know, we could only plan so much, but we don't know what 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 is going to be like when it's game time. You know. And the best thing that we can do is just adapt to whatever the situation is. And I and I felt like um, the the two games we've played, I mean, 
you could see where we've gotten better in the second game, but uh, we could still do more, you know. Um, we have a group of guys that, that I said at first is, is, is willing to work, and, and I think that's where um, we really we really stuck together and, 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 and got two points so far. But, I mean, it's not the best, but, you know, there's still room for improvement, you know, mm-hmm. knowing that we're basically we played two games earlier this year and then now three months later we're in a tournament you know with Mm -hmm. you know i mean so it's basically still like we're still trying to figure out certain things and get used to playing together because that within that three months that we're out we weren't really playing together you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. and we have we have new guys we have you know different personalities different you know so it's 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 gonna take time and um i mean I think that's that's the most important. As long as we know that you know we have what it takes to 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 move forward and win games and win big games, um, we just have to to buy into you know the mm-hmm. the, the system and and what the coaches basically are trying to trying to get across to us. And I think um, for most part, the guys are are willing and and to work and do everything to get these games under our belt and win these games that we have left for the year, you know? So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think the next game, I think the next game coming, I think there will be, you know, something different from the team, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can see the guys in the guys' face that they're hungry, you know? We want to win. We we, we want to get these points so we could advance and, and not just be here to just, you know, oh, we, get, we play three games and then we go home. No. We want to make it to the next round and, and, and keep going all the way. So you can see it in the guy's face uh, at training, you know, and, and, and just the energy, you know. So I think that's that's a positive, you know. There There's a lot of, you know, I mean, I've, I've been reading a lot of stuff and seeing a lot of stuff, but, you know, there's always negative in, in everything. And we just have to stay positive as a group mm-hmm. and as a club and, and, and know that, you know, we're the ones we're going out on the field and, and, and we know what it takes to, to play in these games and, you know, win, get game, win games and get points, you know? So we just have to basically just stay on the path and, and know that it's not going to, it's not going to be easy. You know, it's never going to mm-hmm. be easy. So whatever it comes with, we just have to you know, just adapt and, and fight it out, you know, because a lot of people didn't probably already counted us out for, that Toronto game, like, oh, they're 2-0 down, they're going to lose, mm-hmm. oh, New England game, oh, 1-0, there they go again, you know, but, you know, you never know, you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it changes just like that, it changed real quick, and that that's that's the, the, the beauty about, you know, football, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I think I think the guys are in, in, in a good um, mental space, and and they're really hungry to, to get the next game. So. You, well, speaking of of that next game, um, you you've had time. You mentioned watching these games. Um, you've had time to to look at the impact. Uh, what do you think of Montreal right now? What are you expecting tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but uh, Tuesday? You have two teams that could I mean, potentially make it through to the next round. So I think it's going to be all or all or nothing. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a great game to watch. You know, because both teams. Both teams have the uh, could make it through. So I think 
they're going to come with some fire and also we're going to come with fire. So I guess it's going to be, they say you can't fight fire with fire, but I guess that's what it's going to be on Tuesday, you know? <laughs> so we just had to, you know, see what, what the outcome will be, but I think it's going to be a good game to, to watch and, and for people to watch. You know? uh, how do you feel about um, this game being played at, at 1030? It's, it's such an unusual thing. Um, how do you feel about, about dealing with that? I mean, as I said, there's been we we've been making a lot of adjustments, and this mm-hmm. is one of those, you know, moments that we have to make another adjustment to play at 10:30. You know what I mean? So, um, we we we're not the first team to do it, and everybody else has done it. So I guess we just have to, you know, mm-hmm. go ahead and do what we have to do. You know, there's no excuses, and, and we just have to go out there and get the job done. It could be 12 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> We don't have any other choice but to go play. You know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> I think it's just a, it's just a mental. It's 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 all mental. Um, mm-hmm. Especially for a tournament, you just got to take it game by game as well. Um, you can't focus on oh the next round is yet when you haven't got past the 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 first round. You know what I mean? So I think it's the most important thing is just winning the next game and then see where it goes from there. But we just have to adapt to whatever the situation is or whatever we're going through. So. Uh, I think the team, the team, been adapting pretty good so far, and mm-hmm. um, we we we've, you know, there's been bumps and 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 bruises, but we we, you know, we 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 kind of handle it um, in a proper way. I I guess that that pretty much uh that pretty much covers uh the ground we wanted to get through uh with this one um before we let you go O'Neal uh where can people find you online. Um, at Onia Fisher, one nine nine X, at uh, Instagram, mm-hmm. and then at Fisher O'Neill on Twitter. Cool. That's it. Uh, yeah. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Say you're at work, and uh something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you call the ehrlich law office because you have rights That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast dc united will finish out the group stage of the mls's back tournament late tuesday night against the montreal impact 
uh, needing a win to guarantee a spot in the knockout round. Watch it on ESPN2 and Two Day Any in the U.S., 10.30 Tuesday night. Kevin Laramie hosts the Off the Woodworks podcast in, about the Montreal Impact, and he's uh, nice enough to join us now to help us preview this game. Kevin, welcome to Filibuster. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Thanks for the great conversation that's coming. I love DC United. I love the history. And, you know, it's a a storied franchise that is always fun to play against. Well, hopefully this game will be entertaining. Uh, before we, we get to it, though, what are you drinking tonight? I'm drinking a Coke Zero. I am very, very uh, quiet and I've cut down my sugar and I still need fizzy in my life. So I got myself a nice Coke Zero for tonight. I'm being right. I'm being quite, uh, quite uh, reserved. I, I am strongly pro-fizzy, so I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> uh, I, we, we're all hoping for entertainment in, in this game, especially DC United fans after the, the snoozer that was the draw against New England. I don't know if, if this game can possibly live up to the, the match you guys had against Toronto FC, though. Um, what is it about that particular rivalry between Montreal and Toronto that makes those games just insane every single time? There's something about it. It's hard to pinpoint. You know, it's a famous X factor, the intangibles. You can't pinpoint it, but your eye tells you that it's different. It's like when you're watching LA and the Galaxy and LAFC last night too. Well, whenever you watched it, it's the same. You know that there's a the potential for chaos always and you know that it's always just one bad tackle of turning around, one bad call by the referee, or one just. One player getting angry, like Michael Bradley. One player gets angry, and for sure, it's it turns around. It doesn't matter about the defense. It doesn't matter about strategy, tactics. This all goes by the wayside, and it's just, let's get at him. And then it doesn't matter. We'll concede two. We'll score three. Let's go. And there's just something special about the, I would say, the carelessness of playing against your rival. And there's, there's nothing quite like it. So, Kevin, uh Speaking about exciting United-Montreal games in the past, I know United fans are happy to see that Ignacio Piatti is no longer a member of uh, the Montreal Impact. Just for this week. Whenever we get to be neutrals, we miss Piatti. True. Very true. Uh, But who has Thierry Henry decided needs to step up and take – Ignacio Piatti's place not that anyone can really provide all that all that he does still hoping that we'll get a special announcement a few minutes before the game saying I'm coming out of retirement I'm jumping on the pitch I'm still waiting for that moment and I don't think it's going to happen unfortunately right now I would say the impact is about Romel Kyoto. Romel Kyoto's space on the left side of the attack of the midfield, but more center forward, depending on how he feels and how Thierry Henry set him up. He's the closest thing to a Nacho Piatti, even though they play in a totally different way. What was in for, uh, fascinating against Toronto is the few times he got by Omar Gonzalez, like playing butter, and find himself on goal by himself, finished one of them. And these opportunities that come out of nothing, out of nowhere. Montreal never had that before. It's been a long time. Montreal had to work so hard for every single goal, even Piatti. It took moments of brilliance, moments of genius 
And those are hard to replicate. They're not replicatable. So you don't duplicate these goals. You can't necessarily count and rely on that production over a season or over an important game. So when I look at the way Romil Kyoto just breaks down a defender with his speed on the left side, it's something that is replicable. And I'm seeing something that I haven't seen in a long time where maybe a striker can get a goal every two games for the Montreal Impact, maybe Romel Kyoto. And that would be a big difference. We're waiting for Boyan, though. And Boyan, we haven't seen the breakout Barcelona genius that he was started to be when he started his career. Will we see that in Montreal? I don't know. We've seen moments of great ideas. And there was one moment last week where you saw Anthony Jackson and Mel and Boyan with Kyoto also do the ill flick and had a perfect shot on that. Mm-hmm. It was a nice save. But that moment showed me that Boyan has it. But there's a lot to his game and he doesn't necessarily fit in the mindset of a more simpler tactic of a Montreal impact this year. And it's how you fit him into it. But to go back to your question, I would say Romel Kyoto is the closest thing to a goal scorer. The Montreal impact has right now, at least a player in form. And with that, I, I think Anthony Jackson, ML and Boyan could create something together, but we won't have a, a Jackson and start. I think Uruti might be the starting against, of course, DC United, and we'll see what Maxi can do. He's not the golden boot in the league anymore, so now he's going to have to defend that. He's going to have to uh, to score because Ayo Kindola is now the golden boot, Toronto. Uh, but I think it's a, a good way to look at Montreal is if one of these players gets hot, Montreal has a chance. If not, Montreal might be in trouble. Well, speaking of uh, Maxi Arruti, I know a, a long time ago when he was on the, the trade block, uh, DC United fans were pushing for uh, him to come uh, to come here. It seems like he's had, like he's always been on the precipice of really breaking out. I know he had a 12 goal season, but it always seems like he's one step away and then doesn't get there. What is... Is he still that player? Is he still going to, can he still break out and have a 15, 20 goal season? Or is he more of a uh, solid piece who helps set up other players around him? I think it's option three where he was, he felt better because he was playing next to Diego Valeri. That really helps when you're in Portland. When you have Valeri next to you, it helps yeah. your finishing, your confidence, especially. And it's that type of player, Maxi Ruti. And that's one trait that is Argentinian finds sometimes when the striker is there. They score goals in bunches. They, they become hot strikers. And, and Ruti is the case. When he comes out, he scores three goals like we've seen in just a few games against Dallas, against New England earlier this season. It doesn't feel like last year. I feel like five years ago. But man, right. That was earlier this season. Yeah. But, you know, you, you have that aspect of his game where he's not the number one guy you need. He's a great support guy. He's going to be great when he has a bit more space because somebody else takes all the space. But so far, him playing off of Gromel Kyoto, which is a bit more, I would say, you dumb down the soccer IQ compared to Nacho Piatti, but that might be more applicable in Major League Soccer. That might be more instinctual for a Kyoto and other to play, not more direct, but not step overs after step overs and after step overs, and you have to mentally jungle, juggle to find what your teammate's going to do because he's so good and talented. There's not 10,000 things Kyoto's going to do. He's going to go left or he's going to go right but he's going to try to go by you. So you have to figure out how to 
to go with that strength. And that will be the challenge for Thierry Henry, is how do you highlight the very few strengths the Montreal Impact have and not expose your, your weaknesses at the same time? And I think that's the big key with DC United, which is a very similar team to Montreal right now, which is kind of fascinating how they're going to face each other. And I'm not even talking about Felipe, which I got a lot of love for Felipe. <laughs> I'm kind of happy that I'm going to get to see him play against Montreal again. Montreal's shins are not that happy, though, because I feel there's going to be a lot of kicking. <laughs> but, you know, it's always good to talk to Felipe, too. Uh, Kevin, you, you bring up some of... Henri's adjustments tactically. One thing that um, I've been fascinated by is that in the two games we've seen in the in this tournament so far, um, we've seen a, a natural central midfielder playing out on the right. Um, whether it's Samuel Piet in the first game or uh, Shamit Chomet in the second game, um, do you feel like that's been successful? Because it, it's been a very very big surprise to such an extent that. Um, between the positioning of the guys and the the angle we're getting on the broadcast, I at first just was like, I can't, why am I not getting the formation correct? Because I, I he kept popping up from the, the touchline. I was like, where, where is he on the field? And it was like, oh, he's been hidden this whole time because of the angle. Um, what is what is he looking for? And do you think he's getting what he wants? That's so hard to tell. And that's that's where not being able to go to practice, that's where mm-hmm. not being able to cover the team like we would in Montreal, not having like the full post-game experience with all the players and all the coaches that we get to talk to. That's where we don't have answers because we're all here and everyone's <laughs> over there. So so mm-hmm. I actually reached out to my other Montreal journalist colleagues and asked them, like, what do you think? Is Zachary Brogiard injured? We don't know. He's not officially, and he's played in both games late in the game. So mm-hmm. is it, tactically speaking, does Thierry think that he wants to keep Brogillard fresh for late in the game to have more impact, and then he's like, I'm going to sacrifice the first 70 minutes of that game for that? Is it worth it? I don't know, and I kind of hope he doesn't think that because the game's going to be won and lost oftentimes in the first 70 minutes of this tournament. So that's my thought. My real thought is... What happened between Thierry Henry and Zachary Brogiard? Did something mm-hmm. happen? Because Zachary Brogiard is not only like one of the good defender Montreal Impact have, one of the great young player, Canadian international, a potential great right back in this league who played a year with Zachary Sanya, learned a lot playing behind him as his replacement. A lot of talent, a lot of upside, very fast, but... Is there something that happened? And we don't know. We're not privy to all the information. Did Zachary Brogiard come in the best of form? Is he injured? Is there a little knock that we're not aware of? Because there's no way. And Thierry Henry is a student of the game. Yes, he's a young coach. Some people say that Monaco didn't go well, whatever. I wasn't there. I can't. I I don't know. And I can't judge for things that I haven't seen because, well, it wouldn't be ethical. Mm -hmm. What I can say is... He's a student of the game, and the way I've heard him talk, the way I've heard him explain to journalists, and me included, how, how he views things a few months ago, he's he's very smart about tactics. He's very smart. So he's not putting them there, jeopardizing his team just for fun and just so people talk about it. There's a reason. So is it an injury for Zachary Brogiard? Is it a coach's decision, a message that's being passed by, look, you got to take this thing more seriously? You got to... Montreal Impact players had received... 
spikes and a training regiment during quarantine to follow very closely. And we were told by the impact that most players really diligently did it. And Zachary Bogiard posted a lot of pictures of him training and everything. So he looked in great shape. So it's not like the eye test. I can tell you, oh, yeah, he came in 20 pounds overweight, and that's why he, he's being penalized. It doesn't seem to be the case. So is there an injury? But that's where not being there really, really hurts because we have no idea. And Thierry, Henri doesn't answer our question when we ask him. We ask him twice, <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. like this guy's way. But the first the first game was like, I don't even want to talk about tactics because my team didn't have any fighting spirit. So I'm not going to talk about nothing else than the fact that they were lacking fighting spirit. Oh, well, okay. Then the last time, like, oh, we had a good game by a few people. And there you go, which still didn't answer our question. So by not answering, you leave space for speculation. And between you and I, either something happened, either he's a knock or he's injured, or something is going on that we're not aware of. Yeah, I remember, I think one of his first games in MLS ended up being against DC in a game where Montreal had to rotate heavily. And I remember thinking, well, this is someone that just hasn't played very much. DC should attack him. And then he actually was one of the best players in the game. Um, and I was like, well, that's uh, that's someone to keep an eye on from from now on. And then to see him not starting has been very confusing, to say the least. Um, I guess my other question, speaking of individual impact players, um, Victor Wanyama was signed, and it seemed kind of maybe this is part of the the weird thing about MLS being Montreal being the one uh, francophone club in the league is that sometimes things happen in Montreal that everyone up there know oh they've been following the rumor this and that and for the rest of the english speaking league it's just like we signed victor wanyama and it's a big surprise um and i remember being very surprised that that was what was going on um how has he been doing i know he played center back against tfc previously he'd been in the midfield um what's his what has his uh pardon the pun but the impact on on montreal since he arrived Oh, there's no part in the pun. You can't. You got to get used to it. It's, uh, every every time, every year it comes up. Mm. Uh, it came as a surprise for us too. Like mm. uh, Louis Banks of Montreal, you know, a young defender. I, I I see him in my soup. I think he's the best defender I've seen a 19 year old in a long 18 year old in a long time. But when Yama came out of nowhere, like oh yeah, he signs, and then they're like, all right, it, it's a decent signing. He's gonna get used to the league, but he's big, he's strong, he's he's physical. We saw him. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder with a few TFC player and it's good for Montreal they need that presence in the midfield but I still question when the the acquisition that Montreal did do did not answer the glaring problems that everyone believes Montreal has which is a striker position the the production of a natural piatti how you're going to address that and and those transfers and the players coming in barely address that and yes it's going to be a replacement by committee so if you had Boyan's production maybe with Kyoto's production with maybe one Yama's couple of goals he gets and here and there but still I think it's it's the best they, they did with what they had which is not a lot of leeway financially not a lot of opportunity and a network of contacts that is in the building phase and not in the Let's 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 cash in in the favors that everyone owes us everywhere in Europe. It's more it's about the rebuilding trust everywhere with our with our partners right now. So I have a feeling 
Montreal was presented with a few options and they're like, okay, well, we might as well take this because we don't know what else we're going to be able to do down the road. And it is a rebuilding year in a way when you look at it for the Montreal Impact where realistically there's there's even pre-COVID, there wasn't really an expectation of being any kind of contender or anything in the Eastern Conference. And Thierry Henry as a manager gives a an umbrella to the team where the criticism will can be there if you're struggling, but it's still Thierry Henry legend uh, of France soccer, legend, world, world champion, European champion, Champions League champion. So, so there's, there's a little bit of leeway and that leash is a little longer. So it kind of fits when you're looking at the window of, of winning for Montreal, not being right now. So speaking of Thierry Henry, uh, it, he, it seems like, at least popularly in the media, it seems like he almost just like demanded the Montreal Impact job and then was was given it is how the, how Twitter at least played out. I'm sure that's not how it actually played out. But uh, and especially after his stint at Monaco, it's not like he's uh, I mean, he's obviously coming to MLS and not uh, going higher up the food chain in Europe. So what has been the impression of Thierry Henry so far and uh, how, like, obviously this tournament, I don't think anyone's getting fired based on the MLS's back tournament. Uh, unless maybe you're an LA galaxy uh, head coach. Um, but, uh, but after once, once we're back into regular MLS, whenever that may happen, how long do you think uh, his leash is and, what do you think he's what what is he trying to do with this team i think he's trying to learn and to apply what he think is his best way to manage realistically right now in a league that he played in that he knows and one interesting aspect of the first few press conferences he did when he came to montreal a couple of months ago is to be a manager you got to be offered a job first so this was the first job he was offered since the monaco job so, hey, if you never offer, you never know. It came to him. He was offered the job. He's like, why not, Coconut? Let's try this. Let's go to Montreal. And let's go coach some Frenchman playing soccer. And I really hope he I, actually said, why not, Coconut? Yeah, he probably did. It's canon now. He said it. <laughs> <laughs> but that should have been like, so that's the aspect of it where he comes here there's not that much pressure like he would example take arsenal or or take something like of a team he played for example if he goes to to, to syria or to la liga he can't take over barcelona right so you the pressure he doesn't last six months and he's fired but taking over a team like this montreal where yeah the the salary cap and all the player personnel, the MLS of MLS will will turn him off a little bit. But managing wise, learning how to talk to people and players that don't have the same talent as you have, it might seem silly and trivial. I have seen in my own eyes, example, a Wayne Gretzky. I'm Canadian. This is my my quota of hockey reference. So this is my one hockey reference. You know, Wayne Gretzky, the best hockey player maybe that ever lived. He tried to coach for a long time. He was maybe the worst coach ever in the history of professional hockey. Of course, it's Wayne Gretzky. So his coach goes to Wayne Gretzky. Hey, Wayne, how do you do this? 
It's easy. Just do it like this. Yeah, but you're Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> it's easy for you. How do I do it, mister, with less talent than you? So I'm wondering if how that happens. I would love to be that fly on the wall and see how Thierry Henry talks to a player like a Samuel Piet, to like a defensive player. Example, imagine if Thierry Henry was the coach of Chad Marshall when Chad Marshall was not retired. How would Thierry Henry explain to Chad Marshall to play? That's what I want to know. But that's kind of fascinating. And if you understand how to talk to, example, Breck Shea, like Thierry Henry showing Breck Shea how to properly defend. No one knows how to talk to Breck Shea. <laughs> oh, oh, I would love to. I would love to try. Breck, call me anytime, anytime. So that would be a challenge or, or something that you, you, you test your skills and then you can take these experiences somewhere else. So I think that's a bit of why Thierry Henry is in Montreal is to coach to not have an easy life, to not have an easy coaching lifestyle, not the players you wish you would have, not the best players in the world, but to find a way to win, to find reasons to do this. I think that's what Thierry Henry is doing. He's perfecting his craft outside his comfort zone. Even though it might be a francophone city, Thierry Henry never lived in Montreal before for coming here doesn't have a network of contacts here doesn't have well now yeah but not before and he had to spend the entire COVID-19 quarantine here so can you imagine how this molds your your experience too so far so I have to give credit for him he doesn't have to do this he he doesn't have to manage he doesn't have to coach so I think that shows us a bit more his his real motivation his determination because if I was Thierry Henry Can I be telling you that the last damn thing I would be doing is coaching a soccer team right now? <laughs> I would be in my house in Monaco looking at the peasants and be like, bring me my drink. But I guess I will never be Thierry Henry. But so, yeah, he, he doesn't have to do this. And he's he wants to. That That tells me all I need to know. So I'm going to go for a bit of a diversion here. I, I think... Nothing has split opinion in on the MLS's back is tournament MLS's back tournament quite like the Montreal Impacts jerseys. And I will always bring up the Impacts jerseys because they're the blue and black stripes are are some of the best in the league. But all they've worn through two games are these very, very gray, oh almost God. training top looking <laughs> shirts. And I know people who love them and I know people who think they are the worst looking things they've ever seen. And I have to know where you stand. Well, it's all about the combination with the shorts. You put them with the black shorts, of course, they're going to look terrible. But if you would have matched with like a gray short the same, maybe we're like, all right, all right. But what I'm wondering is who the heck had the idea to put gray with the Montreal Impact? It's blue, white, and black. I've never seen gray with a club ever. I don't know why. I, I It's everyone's it's, wearing gray now. It's a Adidas it loves familiar. gray. We, we did this too uh, in yep. DC. We suddenly got stuck with some gray, and it was like, "Well, we didn't ask for this." <laughs> it was like a charcoal gray, though, uh, which at least is closer to black than whatever the Montreal is wearing. You know, you you've could have done it so many ways to make it look cool, you know, and it, because of the three black stripes on the right shoulder with Adidas, you know what I would have done? I'd do it all black, the blue logo, and put the white stripes, just like I had on my shorts in 1998. You know, I had the black shorts with the three white stripes. We all had mm -hmm. these shorts. I would have loved to have a jersey like that, but no, we're, we're stuck with what looks like an oversight of a jersey. Like, oh, yeah, 
but yeah, they they had to have a. It's been two years since the away jersey. Yeah, okay. Uh, which template is left? The gray one. Oh, man. Montreal, sure. Send that to the French guys. They can't read. They don't know what's written there. It feels like we're an oversight sometimes here, but it's okay. It's okay. We're used to it. Well, if you were planning to play against the Montreal Impact and not looking past them, mm-hmm. how would you game plan? What would you be focusing on against Thierry Henry's team? I would go with attacking depending on who starts right back i would go with attacking that position because uh, montreal does have some injury problem in the right back yuka right the montreal impact captain has have a difficult two games in mls's back joe waterman one of good montreal defender is injured and that's unfortunate i would really go by the 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 wings. I would use the width of the field. I would not try to center, but I would try to use the width to cut back in and to try to test Clemenzi up from an angle. He's been not bad, but he had trouble against Toronto to be able to finish that type of shot. That's how I would approach this game. Keep it simple. It's still preseason. Let's be honest. Not only is the look of this the Orlando preseason tournament of 2012 literally it is the type of soccer to route one direct it's hot just don't don't complicate it too much don't do 28 different passes and make me run too much get the ball as quick as possible get it up front and shoot and score and i'm scared i'm scared because I saw games of Montreal Impact with the Columbus crew for a long time. And I saw Pepe Higuain come in and score late in the game and be able to be a difference. And this player will fight to tooth and nails to make the starting 11 of DC United. And if he doesn't, he's going to come in every 15 minutes and he's going to score one once every two games. And he's going to make everyone in Columbus feel like, why have we got rid of him? Exactly. And he's going to do that against Montreal, too, because he has been unstoppable. The, the, the guy is, yeah, he looks a little older, but he reminds me of a, like a Jason Statham a bit, right? He got popular <laughs> later in his career. He has mm-hmm. that type of vibe. I, I look at the, at Pipa Higuain. I'm like, yeah, I can see him in the driver 22. You know, he could be a good Jason Statham. He has that toughness. I, and that scares me. He come in at the 75th minute, and if it's like Samuel Pieta right back, good luck, Sam, because, man, Pippa's coming. <laughs> All right, well, be sure to watch Pippa Iguain as the transporter uh, Tuesday night on ESPN2 and 2 day NA, 10.30 p.m., DCU After Dark. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online. You can follow me on Twitter at Kev Larme. You can listen to my Off the Woodworks Montreal Impact Soccer Show and Monday to Friday, 11 a.m. on my Twitter, Soccer Today, live radio about soccer every day. All right. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're also on Twitter, of course, at blackandredu for the website, at filibusterdcu for this year podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or elsewhere. You will find us there. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. So when you're on the the pregame Zoom call or or chatting with a friend about the show, just mention, or before the game, just mention the show. And that's about the nicest thing you can do for us. For Jason and Ben and thanking Kevin Laramie one last time, I'm Adam, and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. 
now I'm just worried about Iguain leaving DC United for an action film career. Thank you.